morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Jesse Holmes. I serve as the discipleship pastor here at Crawford, uh, which means I'm not Burt Daniel. Um, Burt Daniel is our lead pastor, and he's been walking us through the Psalms over the past several weeks. Uh, he was not feeling well this weekend, so he has taken a break at home and asked me to stay, stand in his stead. So we'll be taking a short break from Psalms, but we'll jump back into that, Lord willing, next week looking at Psalm 97. Uh, but this morning, we will be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. If you're using one of the black Bibles in front of you, you will find it on page 966. I'll begin reading at verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious God, we now come to your word, asking that you will teach us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Will you open our eyes, our, our ears, our hearts? Will you help us to understand the truths in your word that we might apply them to our lives? That we might no longer live for ourselves, for our own glory, but for you and for your glory. For those that do not believe, will you draw them unto yourself this morning? For those that do believe, will you encourage us and challenge us and spur us on toward love and good deeds? Will you bless our time right now that you might be honored and glorified? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 through 21, uh, we want to answer the question, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, what's changed? As a disciple of Jesus Christ, what's changed? Our mission statement here at Crawford is that we want to glorify God by making disciples who enjoy, live, and proclaim the gospel. And so that means that in this room, if you are a believer, if you are a Christian, you are also known as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And it means that there's something that has changed or something that has taken place within you. Our testimony is that story of change. It describes what our lives were like when we were separated from God. It describes what it was like to have our eyes opened to behold the beauty of Jesus, which resulted in us repenting and confessing Christ as Lord. It describes what our lives are like now as we live a life that's committed to live not for ourselves, but for him, for his sake. That means that our story is by nature an evangelistic tool. That as we're sharing the story of what Christ has done, it in itself is proclaiming the beauty of Jesus Christ. 
And so if you are here this morning and you are not a believer, do not tune us out. Because while hearing and reflecting on the testimony of the disciple, in that you will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you are a believer this morning, my question again is, how have things changed for you? So how would you describe this change? What would you say in order to articulate what God has done? What words could you use to convey the beauty and the blessing of his grace? Well, this morning, I would like to recommend the power of prepositional phrases. If you know me, I've said before, I love prepositional phrases. It's an odd thing to to love, but I love them. And Paul, who is the author of our text, uses them all of the time. Now, a prepositional phrase is a is a grammatical term, a grammatical tool that's used to modify a noun or a verb. So, for example, what it does is it helps to tell a story or to clarify. So, where did Joe go? Joe went to the store, beginning with the preposition, to ending with the object of the preposition, store. Where's my chicken finger? It is in the dog's mouth. The, the prepositional phrase is telling the story and describing what has happened to my food and where did Joe go? Our text this morning, as Paul so often uses prepositional phrases, in our text this morning, we're going to see that Paul uses prepositional phrases and then there's a consequence to the prepositional phrase. And as we step back from the text, we see the reality of one who is a disciple. We understand the change that has taken place. So our text this morning is broken up into four prepositional phrases that Paul uses to communicate to the Corinthians the nature of his ministry. So in the context of 2 Corinthians, Paul is having to defend himself. He's having to convince the Corinthians that he has the qualifications in order to rebuke, correct, admonish, and encourage them. The Corinthians always had something to say to Paul. Why? Well, because Paul was correcting them according to the truth of Scripture, and people don't like to be corrected. They don't like to be rebuked. And so what Paul does right here in in chapter 5, he is defending his ministry using prepositional phrases. And in this, what we will see is what has changed for us as disciples. So let's dive right in, beginning at verse 17. It reads, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We first see that in Christ, prepositional phrase, we are new. In Christ, we are new. So looking back at this verse, uh, we we could read it again in a different way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, things are becoming new. And so as Paul is beginning this exposition, is beginning to defend himself, he begins by saying that something has happened to someone that is in Christ. And by saying in Christ, he's describing the believer. He's describing who they are and where they are. And how he describes this is profound. He doesn't just say that they believe that they're a disciple. They are positionally now in Christ. And so all that they are, as they think about themselves, as they describe who they are, they cannot describe themselves apart from using Christ terminology. Because that's where they have now been located. So Paul, what are you saying about those that are in Christ? 
he says that they are a new creation or a new creature. What does that mean? So what Paul's describing for disciples, we're thinking about answering the question, how has we, how have we changed? The reality is we haven't just changed the way that we acted. We haven't just changed the way that we dress. We haven't just changed where we're going in life or how we feel, but we have literally been changed from the inside out. We are a brand new creation. Why? Because we are in Christ. So this is not like uh, Pikachu evolving into Raichu. This is not like taking eggs and flour and butter and baking a cake. It is so much deeper than that. Because, as Ezekiel 36 puts it, what God has done through Christ is he has removed our heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. What God has done through Christ, he has breathed in a new spirit in us. Jesus puts it this way, you must be born again. So for the life of a disciple, for the life of a Christian, it's not that we just change our outer garments and change what we have on. From the inside, God has done surgery and has changed us and molded us into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. And there's great implications for that. So it means that the actions of a believer or of a disciple is not coming out of themselves. They're not making it up. They're not forcing themselves to do something. But all of the actions, behaviors, the thoughts, the character that comes out of a believer stems out of a new heart of flesh, a new spirit that dwells in them. And Paul goes further. As he's describing what this looks like as a new creation, he starts to talk about things. So there's some things that are different now for someone who is in Christ. And as they are in Christ, they are a new creation. He has two things to say about things. First, the things that were old have now passed away. The things that were old, the things that would describe who we were before, they have now passed away. So looking at the Greek, what we would understand is that there was a point that an action took place and now it's completed. It's passed away. It's gone. So what are these things? Well, our worldview, our way of life, our perspective, our attitude, our character, our behavior, all of these things have changed. And so what has specifically happened to those things? Man, those things are no longer about us. Because before Christ Jesus did a work in us, everything about our lives was, a, was about me, myself, and I. Where I go in life, how I use my money, how I use my time, what time I go to bed, what time I wake up, what I'm going to eat today. All of those things were about us. But the reality is for those who are in Christ, they are new and the old way of thinking and the old way of viewing life has now passed away. And then there's some good news. He says, not only have the old things passed away, he says, behold. And it's like, hey, look, everybody, the old things have passed away. But guess what? The new things, they've come, the things have now become new. And so what does it mean that they've become new? I mean, it's something that has taken place in the past and is continuing on every single day, new, new, new. Our worldview, our attitude, our perspective, our way of life, our character, our opinions, all of those things are new. Why? Is it because pastor told us that they should be new? 
Is it because the Bible story instructed us that it should be new? Oh, by no means. It's because we have a new heart and we have a new spirit. And that new heart and that new spirit has now gotten rid of the old things. And our way of life is new because it resembles the life of Jesus Christ. The old ways of doing things have passed away. And guess what? The new way is here. And so as a disciple of Jesus Christ, as we are communicating what Christ has done, as we're communicating the change that has taken place, we first and foremost have to declare we are a new creation. Man, the old way of doing stuff, that stuff has passed away. Behold, the new Christ-like way has arrived. Now you may ask, well, I still struggle with sin. What about that? Yes, we will still struggle with sin, but we repent. Why? Because that's the new way. Yes, we're still tempted by sin, but you know what? The Holy Spirit will help us. Why? Because that's the new way. Yes, we'll still struggle with loneliness and isolation, but God has gathered us into the context of a community and has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. It's the new way. We are now new. So my question for you is, does that describe your life? Does that describe how you live and how you think and how you view the world around you? Are you viewing it the new way because of what Christ has done in you? So first, the first prepositional phrase is in Christ. And a consequence of that is we are new. Second, through Christ, we are reconciled. Through Christ, we are reconciled. Verses 18 through 19. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting our trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So what God has done through Christ, he has reconciled us to himself. So as a disciple, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. So what do you mean through Jesus Christ? What is this, what is this phrase talking about? The purpose in the phrase through Christ. Paul is referring to the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. And what has made all of this possible? What has made our reconciliation to God possible? The perfect life. The sacrificial death. The miraculous resurrection of Jesus Christ has made it possible that we might be reconciled to God and no longer live for ourselves, but live for him. Well, we see that there are a few truths in here about what God has done through Christ. So first, we've already hit on this. He has reconciled us to himself. So the word reconciliation or reconcile kind of changes our view of salvation. There are some that might think, I was a good person, and then God made me better. I was like kind of sad, God made me happy. I was like bored, didn't know what I was doing with my life, God gave me direction. No, that's not how it was. It's not a cute story. It's not like something you were good and became better. The reality is, for Paul to use the word reconcile, by definition, that is the act of two enemies becoming friends. And I don't know, like, if you know anything about enemies, but they don't get along. Like, they actually do things to intentionally, like, hurt each other or, like, say, get out of here, get away from me. Like, I don't want to have anything to do with you. 
So you don't normally see like two enemies just like hanging out and having fun. And the reality scripture tells us that we were not passively separated from God. We were not passively sitting over here and then decided to get up and be friends with God. The reality is every inch of our lives were anti-God. The way that we thought, the things that we said, the things that we pursued, the passions of our heart, all of those things were anti-God because they were pro-us. And we just wanted to do whatever made us happy. We just wanted to do whatever would put a smile on our face. And by nature, it is anti-God because it's sinful. And sin is everything against our holy God. Well, Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, he puts it this way as he's uh, elaborating on this theme and painting this picture. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom you all once lived, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So what Paul is describing right here, you were not just like kind of the enemy. The wrath of God before Christ redeemed you was fixed on you. And I don't know if you know anything about wrath. Maybe your parents know things about wrath. But, like, that's not just angry. That's, like, super angry. Like, it's not, like, just fire. It's, like, lava. Super hot lava. So that is what was fixated on us because our hearts were wicked and evil and filled with sin. And we had nothing to do with God. But Paul continues on. He says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive. Even though we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive in Christ Jesus. By grace, you have been saved. And so when Paul uses this word of reconciled and reconciliation, he is painting the reality that we were not just far from God or separated from God. We were doing everything that we could to have nothing to do with God. You know who changed things? Do you know who, uh, who made things better? It was God. It was not us. We did not wake up one day and say, hey, I want to be friends, God. We didn't wake up one day saying, oh, I want things to be better between us, God. No. All the, the enemies, we who are believers, we were enemies, and we have been reconciled to God through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it was the Lord's doing. Now, please know, I want to clarify in our text, in verse 19, it says, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Now, please don't read this this phrase, these words, and think, oh, well, God has now saved the whole world. Everything is done. There's no reason to evangelize or share the gospel. That is not what Paul is hitting on. And if you cross-reference through all of of Paul's writings, you will see that's not the point that he's trying to make. What he is actually saying and suggesting, and he's right in this, is that as he describes that God is reconciling the world, he's saying that salvation is not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles also. It's not just for this one nation right here, but it's available for all the nations. And as Paul talks about this over and over again in his letters, it blew the mind of his audience over and over again. And so the beauty of it is the reconciliation that God has been doing and is doing through his son, Jesus Christ. I mean, it's not just for one specific people group, the Jews anymore, 
but the Jews and the Gentiles. And it was God's plan all along. So God himself, through his son, has eliminated the beef between us and has removed the wrath that was fixed on us and has made us his. But that's not all. So sometimes believers would like to sit right there. Man, I'm saved. I'm reconciled. Woo, great day. I'll just go to a building once a week, maybe go to somebody's house once a week and eat some good food. Maybe I'll pray and open up my Bible every now and then, but now I'm good. No, that's, don't do that. That's not right. That, there's more to this. And Paul explains that. How does he explain that? Verse 19, verse 18, look back at that. And this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So the fact that Paul is now emphasized twice that they have not just been saved, we have not just been reconciled, but something has been given to us as well. Something has been passed along and has been entrusted to us, and it's the message of our reconciliation. I mean, the communication and the application of this truth is being displayed in how we live our lives. So the truth is, the truth of our salvation is a message that we proclaim. It's a story that we tell. And so that means that our act of uh, sharing the gospel and communicating our testimony to other people, it's not an option, nor is it reserved for those who've gone to seminary, but it has now been implanted in our new DNA that by nature, we are no longer children of wrath, but we are children of proclaimers. And so we're consistently proclaiming what God has done in us through his son, Jesus Christ. Not because we're being made to, not because we're constantly being hit over the head with that truth, but because it's a part of who we are. And side note, we experience that all the time, right? You watch a good movie, what do you do? You tell somebody else. You eat really good food, what do you do? You go tell somebody else. Why? Because what you experienced was meaningful. It changed your life in such a way that you want someone else's life to be changed in that same way. So what is so beautiful about the reconciliation that God has done through Christ, that by nature, it will reproduce more reconciliation. That as God has saved us and has transformed us from the inside out, by nature, other people will be affected by that change that has happened to us. Which is why one good question that I like to ask people is how has your faith influenced the people around you? If, if you say, no, it hasn't, or I don't know, or I can't remember, I mean, there's something wrong. There's a disconnect. But we should be so grateful and overjoyed by the work of Christ in us that it just comes out naturally. Not because we have a Jesus t-shirt on or because we have a cross around our neck or because we're like singing hymns as we walk through the office. No, it's not about that. But by nature, you are going to look different than the world around you because the way that you operate is now different. Why? It goes back to our first preposition. You are in Christ. And we are new. Now, it is, it is very true that the us that Paul is saying here in this text is primarily referring to him and his boys. He's, re, he's re, primarily referring to him and those that are teaching the gospel, the apostles, those that are going out and proclaiming the gospel. 
But it is also true for us. Why do I say that? Well, I think Jesus somewhere, Matthew 28 said, go and make disciples of all nations, right? Again, he says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will be my witnesses. So there even Jesus is communicating that as you have been called to be mine, or as the Father has sent me, now I'm sending you to deliver that same message to the world around you. So, through Christ, we have been reconciled. Great news. It's super good news. And it's a news that we want to share with other people. We have been entrusted with a great ministry of proclaiming reconciliation. How's that been going for you? How's the proclamation been going? How is talking to the people around you about what Christ has done, how's that been going lately? This is not to be a uh, question to bring about shame. It's to be a question to remind you of who you are. You are a disciple, recreated in the image of Christ, and we will call to proclaim that reconciliation to others. Next, verse 20. Prepositional phrase, for Christ, we are ambassadors. Verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, again, if you remember, I explained that Paul in this letter uh, is defending his ministry. The Corinthians are not happy. Some of them are speaking against his authority. Some of them are asking, how dare you? Who gives you the right to tell us what we're doing is not right? And so what Paul is doing is he's explaining the nature of his ministry. And in this, by doing this, he's associating what he's doing and what he is saying. He's associating that with the call and the commission of God. He's saying that I'm not coming just speaking on my own will. I'm not coming just to tell you what I want you to hear. But God is the one who has called me unto himself and has commissioned me to proclaim his truth. And the way that he lays that out is threefold in this verse. He says that we... Paul and those with him, apostles, are ambassadors for Christ. So that means that Jesus sent him to speak truth. As he says that we are ambassadors for Christ, he is explaining, Jesus sent me to speak truth. Next, he says, God making his appeal through us. So he's saying that the truth that I now proclaim, it finds its origin, not in my opinions or my thoughts or my feelings, but it finds its origin in God himself. And finally, he says, we implore you on behalf of Christ. So that means that he is speaking on behalf of Christ. He is speaking for the sake of Christ. Christ Jesus has sent him and said, hey, I need you to say my father's word for my glory. And Paul is saying, this is why I've been rebuking you guys. It's not because I'm bored in jail. It's not because I don't have anything else to do. But I have been commissioned, been called and commissioned by Christ to proclaim truth that you will live your lives to the glory of God. But is there anything that we glean from this truth, from what Paul is saying as he's doing a personal defense? Yes, I believe so. I believe that as disciples, we have also become ambassadors. So by nature, by definition, an ambassador is a representative from their homeland in another country. 
So if you are an ambassador, this is not your home. Like your home is somewhere else. And you're here representing your home country, whether it's to vote on something, whether it's to talk about the issues of the world. Like you represent a different home. And what is true for us as believers, earth is not our home. It's not our home. And it's great news. It relieves stress and worry. It relieves anxiety, knowing that all of these things are going to pass away. And that Jesus, as he promised in John chapter 14, he is preparing our home for us. And he's going to come back again to receive us so that where he is, we may be also. And so with that understanding that we are ambassadors, it helps us to let go of a lot of things, right? I mean, so I'm not living my life to make sure that I have money in the end. I'm not living my life so that I have all the comforts of this world. I'm not living my life in such a way that everybody is happy with me. And so I change my message and the words so that they're pleased with me. No, this is not my home. I, I represent another place. And for us as believers, and we represent another kingdom where Jesus Christ is king. And as king, he has not only changed us from the inside, but he has communicated what that change looks like. And so that means how we engage our enemies look different. That means uh, how we engage our loved ones look different. It means how we, uh, what we pursue in this world, it looks different. Why? Because we're operating on a whole new set of rules that has been modeled and taught and communicated by the king himself. And so what that means and that implies is we naturally will look different like we've been saying over and over again. And the change should be evident in just us walking around and having conversations and looking like Jesus because Jesus did not look like the rest of the world. So we are ambassadors. We are here from another place and we're going back to that place. And so that means while we are here, while we are here in this place, we're not about our business. We're here about the king's business. We're here on behalf of the king. We're here to represent the king. We're here to do the king's work. We're here to bring the king glory. We're here to make the king known. And so with that in mind, that reorients all of our priorities, our purpose, our passions, direction in life, knowing that I'm here and I represent another place. And as we represent that place well, do you know what happens? People are like, tell me about this kingdom that you're from. Man, tell me about like this king that you worship, these rules. And does that not sound a whole lot like Deuteronomy chapter 4? If you're familiar with Deuteronomy chapter 4, like God called the children of Israel to be a light unto the nations so that he says specifically that the other nations will look in at the children of Israel and they will ask the question, man, what an awesome God you have that have given you like laws and commands that actually makes your lives better. Whoa, that's amazing. And so just in the same way that God called the children of Israel to be a light unto the nations, and we have been called and commissioned to be a light unto the nations, proclaiming this kingdom that is here and is coming in Jesus Christ as king. So as ambassadors, just by nature, we proclaim. So finally, prepositional phrase one in Christ. Prepositional phrase two, through Christ. 
prepositional phrase uh, three for Christ. And finally, because of Christ, we have become righteous. Because of Christ, we have become righteous. Verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, I do know there's no because Christ in that verse. But the because is really implied, right? Like, Christ has done something, and as a result of what he has done, we have now become righteous. And here's the reality, and we've said this before, we did not start off good and then become better. We did not start off okay and become great. We started off bad and separated from God. There was no righteousness in and of ourselves. And so then how can we stand before a holy God? I mean, how can we stand before him and say anything unless there's some righteousness that is placed on us? And so the first question is, why? Like, why have we become righteous? Because of Christ. Jesus Christ did not just do a kind thing. He did not just help a brother out. He did not just help us along by dying on the cross and rising from the dead. But Jesus Christ himself took on the wrath of God that he did not deserve. He did nothing to deserve the wrath of God. He took on the wrath of God so that those who believe might no longer have sin accredited to their account. But as God pulls up the bank statement, he sees righteous, righteous, righteous. Not Jesse's righteousness, but Jesus' righteousness. And so for everyone who believes, as the Lord pulls up the bank account, he says, oh, Jesus' righteousness. Oh, Jesus' righteousness. Oh, yes, Jesus' righteousness. And I can imagine if he were to look and see, he would see that it was deposited by Jesus himself into their account. On our behalf. (laughs) We did not deserve it. You know what that's called? It's called grace. And so the reality of this verse right here is what we call the great exchange. It's the reality that we have been bought with a great price. It's the reality that we, in this uh, common illustration that we use, that we have this book of sin in us. And what Christ Jesus did on the cross, that as he was on the cross, he had no sin in him. Jesus walked and lived a perfect life. No sin found in him. But our sin was placed on him and the wrath of God was poured out. But the good news is, for those that look to the Son, for those that repent and believe, to those that trust in Jesus, as our sin has been placed on him, do you know what happens? His righteousness is then placed on us. It's placed on us. And so the Lord looks at the bank account and he sees all righteous. Deposited by my son Jesus himself. That's a huge change. And it's a change that echoes into eternity. Because that means at one point we were lost. We were going towards hell. But because of the grace and kindness of God through his son Jesus Christ. That righteousness that has now been applied to our account means that we got a nice home. 
that's being prepared for us that we get to spend for eternity. And with that end goal in mind, with that end destination in mind, that means I will spend the rest of my life and my energy and my time, every bit of this time that I have left on this earth, I want to tell other people about the reconciliation that has been taking place on my behalf through the Son of Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that's how I will live my life. Why? Because this world is passing away. I don't need to do anything to keep up with these things. I'm living my life to the glory of the one who has ensured me that I have a home being prepared for me. And so what has changed for us as believers? Everything. Every aspect of our life has changed. Every inch of it has changed. If you're sitting here today and you at one point was baptized and trusted in Jesus, but you're sitting here thinking there's nothing that has changed. May I encourage you to look to the sun and repent and believe that maybe what took place several years ago, and maybe that was just something that you did because your brothers and sister did it or your mom and dad encouraged you to do it. But if you're sitting here today and you're recognizing that there is no change at all from the time that you confessed Jesus Christ, and I call you to repent and believe in Jesus for the first time. If you have repented and believed, praise God. We are no longer enemies of God. We're now his friends. And more than that, we're his children. We belong to him. And our home is secure. We don't have to put anything aside to make sure we got a nice mansion in the future because it's already being built. I don't have to worry about it. We don't need to save up money so that we have food to eat. There's already a table prepared for us that we get to eat all we can eat forever with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So may I challenge you as you live this life on this earth, will you live according to that in mind? Will you live a grateful life to the King who died and rose again by making sure that other people know about him? And it's not something that you have to do or force yourself to do. All you got to do is be like Christ. Read his word and study the truth. And, and the reality is Jesus for us as believers, he's not just an example that we're following. We're not opening up the scriptures and saying, okay, I need to look like Jesus. You have been recreated in the likeness of Jesus. He is the mold that God used for your recreation. And so that means as we read the scriptures, we're just being reminded every day of who we are. We're just being reminded every single day of who we are. Uh, it's, it's like if you are from the 90s, you remember the jello molds? And um, you mix that jello up, pour in the mold, throw that thing in the fridge, and like, you know, you found this like really cool like shape that you wanted, and you like take it out, and what would you expect? If you put, like, a spider for some reason in there, you would not expect, like, a rat. No, but the mold was a spider. And so in the same way, our mold is Jesus Christ. And so every single day we wake up and live this life, we want to remind ourselves of the mold in which we've been recreated as. I am no longer a spider, but God has made me something better, a cute puppy. In the likeness of Christ Jesus. That is who we are now. And so that means every single day we wake up reminding ourselves, I'm new. I'm new. I'm new. Because the temptation of doing the old things and living the old way will always be on our heels. 
And so we read the scriptures and we see Jesus, not just as an example, but a reminder of what God has done in us through his son, Jesus Christ. So that's the power of propositional phrases. And may we, as we tell our story to those around us, may we use the proper prepositional phrases where Christ is the object of the prepositional phrase. Let's pray. Father, we are just so grateful for your love and grace that was poured out on us, and we did not deserve it. There's nothing that we did to earn this grace of salvation. We thank you for the precious gift. If there's anyone here this morning that does not believe and has not trusted in you, Father, we just pray that through the proclamation of your word, the prayers that were prayed, the songs that were sung, that you will draw them unto yourself. If there's anyone here this morning that and they've just been complacent, they've been stagnant in their faith, will you revive them? Will you stir up that spirit of yours within them and set them ablaze for your name's sake? And for those of us that do believe and trust in you, will you help us to be proclaimers? Will you help us to be ministers of the reconciliation that is a precious gift from you through your son, Jesus Christ? It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray.